Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the remarkable story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode Robbins, Wise, Lawrence, and Spielberg, Four Visions of West Side Story. When I realized that this week's episode of Broadway Nation would be coming out just two days after what would have been Stephen Sondheim's 92nd birthday, and only three days prior to the Oscars telecast, where the new Steven Spielberg remake of West Side Story will be in contention for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, this seemed like the perfect time to devote an episode to comparing and contrasting the four major visions of this landmark show. And I knew that I couldn't do justice to this topic without having Misha Burson as my guest. Misha is the author of a terrific book titled Something's Coming, Something Good, West Side Story, and the American Imagination. Misha was the chief theater critic for the Seattle Times for 25 years and is now a freelance writer and teacher, and her work appears in Crosscut, American Theater, and other publications. Her previous books include Between Worlds, Contemporary Asian American Plays, and The San Francisco Stage, From Gold Rush to Golden Spike. Misha's acclaimed book has made her one of the leading experts on West Side Story, and her insights are in demand nearly everywhere and every time the show is discussed, including in a controversial New York Times article that you may remember. It was titled The Great West Side Story Debate, and it was published last December, just before the premiere of the film. And we'll hear the inside story of that later in the episode. Misha's tenure at the Seattle Times and mine as the producing artistic director of Seattle's Fifth Avenue Theater were mostly contemporaneous, and I'm very proud that, as you will hear, her book was to a large degree inspired by a production of West Side Story that I produced at the Fifth in 2007. Here we go. Welcome, Misha, to Broadway Nation. It's so great to have you here as a guest today. And so very timely with the Academy Awards coming up this weekend. You wrote this book back in 2011, and it has made you the go-to person to talk about West Side Story. (laughs) And I want to look at these four visions that we now have. But before we go there, let's go back to the book. What prompted you to write the book 
to begin with. Well, and of course, I'm not just blowing smoke here, David, but... That is somewhat uh, <laughs> of a leading question. <laughs> right. <laughs> I had seen West Side Story, the film, of course, when I was young. And I also saw several productions of West Side Story. I never saw it with the level of dancing, with the right casting, with everything coming together, which is really hard in this show. You cannot fake it until I saw your production at the Fifth Avenue Theater. Directed by Bill Barry. By your wonderful husband, Bill Barry. And Robin's choreography recreated by Bob Richard. Yes. So I saw the original choreography and often... In the productions I'd seen before, the choreography was nowhere near as demanding because people couldn't do it. They didn't have the gas to do it. And then you had very good principles and you had these great dancers from Spectrum Dance in Seattle. You had a lot of Latino performing. It really worked. So I was just kind of taken with that. I mean, I thought, wow, this is it. This is why people love this so much because there's some of that in the film. But because the casting was so weird of the principles, this is my opinion, you don't have the acting part of it so much. You have the fantastic dancing, but you don't have that soul of the piece. So I realized that it was coming up on the anniversary of the movie. It was going to be the 50th anniversary of the movie. And I thought, maybe this is a book. And fortunately for me, I had a friend who had a friend at a publishing house, and they liked the idea a lot. I had to write it very quickly because they wanted to bring it out in in 2011. They wanted to have it right then when all the celebrations started happening. And a lot of people don't realize how many incarnations West Side Story has had, that it's been produced all over the world thousands of times and in every way you can think of. There was a version where there was a deaf actress playing Maria. There are all these kind of crazy heavy metal versions in Germany. Where else? I think I sent you a video of one of those where all the jets were painted (laughs) blue and all the sharks were painted red or something like that. It was bizarre. And I think that speaks to the fact that this is essentially Romeo and Juliet, which is a, a story that is never going to die. It's a story that is just embedded in Western culture. So, yeah, there are these now, you say four, and I think that's the safe number, even though there are so many other interpretations. But I think you mean the original, the stage musical, and then the film, and then the version where Arthur Lawrence, the librettist, asked to redo the lyrics, translate them into Spanish, and that was Lin-Manuel Miranda, very good choice to do that, and then this new film. So let's talk about the original stage production. What would you say are the overwhelming strengths of that and what maybe are some of the weaknesses? Well, the strengths for me are that it is the vision of these four guys and it uses Lawrence's libretto, which has been criticized, but I think it has a lot of value on its own. He made up a language for these guys. And even though people make fun of that, they say frabba jabba and all these words that they're slang that never existed, It's like Shakespeare. Shakespeare made up hundreds of words. So it has a flavor of its own. I think it also had some things that never got into movies that were important. The Somewhere Ballet, which is a really beautiful piece and takes the show out of realism for a few minutes into this kind of dream world. 
And the only way that is performed is on stage and most often in the West Side Story suite that ballet companies like New York City Ballet do. And then I also liked that all of the characters are very defined. So you really get to know numerous gang members and their girlfriends. And that kind of changes in the films. It's very focused on the four principals, Tony, Maria, Bernardo, and Anita. So those things, and then just the vitality of the show when it's done right. When you have a Bob Richards or other people who work with Robbins who are recreating the just irreplaceable choreography. I, I don't want to cast any aspersions on the very gifted young guy who did the choreography in the recent movie, but there's just what Stephen Sondheim said about genius, constant invention. There's nothing wrote about that choreography. It goes in directions. It demands certain kinds of kinetic abilities. For me, the cool dance is probably my favorite dance in any Broadway musical. So there's all those things and just the aliveness of it. It's wonderful, like even seeing a college production or a high school production, you just feel the excitement. And very famously, uh, Sondheim said that Robbins was the only genius that he'd ever worked with or ever knew. Yes. And with all his Michigas, as we say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, with, and probably the most hated person on Broadway. And yet I've known a lot of people who worked with Jerry Robbins and they all will tell you the most horrible stories. And then they will say, but I'd work with him any minute he called me on any show he wanted me to work on. Misha and I also discussed some of the aspects of West Side Story that made it truly revolutionary. There were quite a few. I mean, there was no overture. Three characters died. It ended with a very funereal moment. It did not cop out. And then, of course, just acknowledging on Broadway in a musical that there was this bigotry and hatred and tension in the streets and that was real. And it was at a moment where the whole country was freaked out by gangs because gang activity had really accelerated. It was ripped from the headlines in many ways. And I think we forget that, that this was literally reflecting what was happening just 10 blocks away from right. the theater at that moment, at that time. Yes. And it may seem kind of old school to us. They don't use guns, for one thing, except I thought that was interesting in the new film. But it was raw for Broadway, especially. I always like to say, look at what won the Tony that year. The Music Man. I mean, a great show, but can you see the difference. The year before, it was My Fair Lady. This was so new and different for Broadway. And there were critics who said, this is really offensive. They didn't want to go there with American Musical. Well, and Sondheim and Prince both point out that it wasn't until the movie came out that it became one of the most beloved musicals. You're right. It, it took that movie, which was so overwhelmingly successful. So let's move to the movie version now. What would you say are the major strengths of the first movie? The first movie, which has a lot of backstory, which I get into in my book. And one of the big challenges of that film was casting. And most of the gang members came out of shows. 
Bernardo, who is played by George Shakiris, who won an Academy Award, he was actually Riff in the London production. So it's not surprising that Robbins wanted to work with people he knew and who he knew could do it. But of course, the studio was very involved in who's going to be Tony and Maria. And they want movie stars. They wanted movie stars. And the stories of who they thought about and who they auditioned are just ridiculous. I think the funniest one was when they were playing with the idea of Elvis Presley and they actually <laughs> went to his manager, Colonel Parker, and said, ah, I don't think so. And then when they got Natalie Wood, who became, by the way, very close to Jerome Robbins, really loved him. They bonded quickly. She wanted her boyfriend, Warren Beatty, to do it. Really hard to imagine that right now. Remember, the voice was going to be dubbed no matter what. He might have been great. Who knows? Certainly he was a good actor. I don't know. He could have been. They chose this young guy who really was green, but he had been a heartthrob in The Diary of Anne Frank, Richard Beamer. And in his autobiography, oh my God, he talks about being terrified. He says Natalie Wood wouldn't give him the time of day. She really stink-eyed him. And then they'd have to play a big love scene. It was crazy. So the film has a number of things that are just exciting. One is, of course, the opening with the helicopter shot of Manhattan, and then the really brilliant shooting and editing. And that is all wise. I don't know if I gave him enough credit that he was able, with separate locations, different playgrounds in New York and Spanish Harlem, put together this fantastic opening number, which when you look at it again, it's just thrilling. They were shooting from all different angles. That was partly Robbins wanted to do that, their feet and from the side and so on. And then they were on the streets of New York, which had been cleared off and people kind of unplaced so that they could build Lincoln Center. So it really had that feeling of being right in Manhattan. And it was very hot when they shot it, but they really got that in the opening. This is on the actual location where these real events had been taking place. But they had moved everybody out because they were going to tear it down to build Lincoln Center. And it gave the movie makers this opportunity to use that as their set. That's right. And there's a shot of a pile of rubble which Spielberg kind of recreated that. And that was actually from tearing down all these buildings. Actually, the show is more set in Clinton, which used to be Hell's Kitchen, but it's still streets where immigrants lived and very true to the story. You talked about Robert Wise. That opening is amazing because I think he did the impossible. He was able to meld this very unrealistic idea of having gang members dance ballet which of yeah. course works brilliantly on a stage because everything's a metaphor there. Right. And somehow make you believe it within the very realistic aspects of movie making. Yeah, you're so right. He did that very brilliantly. And I should say, with a great deal of input from Robbins. They were yeah. very different people, but they really worked together and they respected each other. Then the, most of the other stuff is in Hollywood and it's done in studio. But, you know, they filmed cool in a garage and that was great. The sense of confinement. I think that's the other thing. There's a lot of metaphorical stuff going on in especially the musical numbers, which were, of course, what Robbins really was focused on. So there's that. There's this 
great knockout performance by Rita Moreno. I thought the, the dance at the gym is spectacular. They used a lot of the things that Robinson originally put in on stage with the ribbons, but it was especially terrific. So to me, that movie is the record of Robin's genius with this show. And when he was fired, which he was because he went way over budget and pissed off <laughs> the producers, his dance captains were there, his assistants were there. He was sneaking in at night to help Wise edit. It wasn't like he was fired and then that was it. He had nothing to say. He was in there. That, to me, is the great value of the film. That's his legacy, that it's his vision preserved in such an exciting Technicolor way. The music, Bernstein did not like the sound that they got. I think you have to have like a really tempered ear to hear that. Marnie Nixon was brought in to sing Maria's role. And actually, Bernstein was so grateful he gave her points in the film. She must have been rolling in money after this. By the way, Natalie wanted to do it. And if you look on YouTube, there's her trying to sing I Feel Pretty. And boy, she just wasn't up to it. And so those are the things that I love about the film. Were there improvements in the writing in any way in the work of the yes, authors? Yes, there was one improvement that Sondheim really felt was improvement, which is they moved the Krupke number to before the rumble, because why would you sing after you'd had this horrible rumble? I actually think it works in the, in the live show. Well, it's very Shakespearean in a way that you put comedy in right yes. after the tragedy. It follows that model, but I can see in a movie where you're sort of doing a sustained narrative, it, it worked better this new way. Yeah, and he hung on to that. He believed in that right up to now. And then the other thing they did, which I thought was great, was that they gave America to both Bernardo and Anita instead of it just being Anita and the women. And he wrote some new lyrics that were really right on. The lyrics are more pointed. They're more political. And that number, of course, is gold. So those, I think, were the highlights of the movie for me. I didn't buy Richard Beamer or Natalie Wood in those roles and the glossiness of that 1960s makeup and the fact that all the Puerto Ricans were bronzed. But I think as a record of some of the genius of the musical aspects of the show, was it's very valuable. And it's a crowd pleaser. I've watched that film now at film festivals with all kinds of people, and you can be 10 and love that film. I assign it to my students <laughs> in the course I teach about the history of Broadway, and they just love it. And most of them have never seen it before and don't really even know that it's going to be Romeo and Juliet. They go on this journey with it and are completely captivated. Yes, it's completely en enveloping. And one sad thing to me is that the movie won, I, I think, 10 Academy Awards and Robbins won award for choreographic contributions to film, which is a great thing. But the fact that he was never hired again to make a film, I think, is a loss because I think yeah. anything he would have done in, in terms of musicals would have been, at the very least, very interesting, you know, very new, fresh. Let's move to what we'll call the Lin-Manuel Miranda version, for lack of a better way to phrase it, of West Side Story. How did that all come about? Well, at that point, Lawrence was still a very vital guy in his late 80s, and he had two beefs with the original. 
he thought that the guys didn't look tough enough, that they were kind of too sweet. And he wanted to do a production with more edge, more kind of a sense that these were not nice kids. And then the other thing was he did feel that the Latino aspect of the show, the Puerto Rican aspect, had been shorted because nobody spoke Spanish in the show. And I just want to clear one thing up. Bernstein loved Latin music and he had many friends who were Latin American Cuban composers and musicians. So when he, by academics, is accused of, oh, this isn't, you know, exactly Puerto Rican, exactly the right dance or the right rhythm or something, that's when I have to say this show is a work of imagination. It's a metaphor. It's not real life. It's not. They never were trying to do an utterly realistic down to the last detail. But this is something Lawrence wanted to do. And he convinced Sondheim. And Sondheim liked Miranda. Who wouldn't? And Miranda loved the show, by the way. I interviewed him for my book. He had directed it in high school, I believe, or in college. Yeah, he had mixed feelings about it. But he said, nobody who is a Latino musical theater person doesn't love this show on some level. And they've all been in it. So he did this. And I saw the show. And for me, and I think for a lot of people who love the show, and I think even for Sondheim, because he asked me how I felt about it, and he didn't disagree with me. The Spanish was very difficult because I saw it in a matinee in a large theater full of high school kids who were up in the balcony, and they were kids of all backgrounds, but there was no translation of the lyrics, and the very small print in the program, there was a translation, which you couldn't read in the theater. And I think for people who didn't know the show, it was like, huh, what? So that was hard. Unfortunately, these brilliant lyrics did not come through for anybody who didn't know Spanish. It was sort of a noble experiment. Yeah, I mean, I understand what he was getting at. And the other thing about the toughness, these guys are not, I mean, that's part of the story, that they're not really killers at the beginning. And they're shocked when someone stabs someone else to death. You know, and it was a more innocent time, and there was more just fisticuffs. So I think even watching these poor actors try to play tough was a little bit off the mark. But as you said, it was a noble experiment. He tried it. No one really faulted him for it. Don't go away. Misha and I will be right back with our thoughts about the new film and the behind-the-scenes details of that controversial New York Times article, The Great West Side Story Debate. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Factor as a sponsor to Broadway Nation this week. This spring, you can eat stress-free with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or my personal choice, Vegan and Veggie. You can also 
discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunches, snacks, and beverages that'll help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factor's ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. If you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. These are no-fuss, no-muss meals, and Factor Meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. You simply heat and savor the good stuff. And you can tailor it all to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can pause or reschedule the deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast, premium meals without the need for cooking. And we're celebrating Earth Day all month long at Factor, so look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box. That's code BN50, as in Broadway Nation, BN50 at factormeals.com BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Do it now! Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. In the lead-up to the release of the new film, Jesse Green, the chief theater critic of the New York Times, invited Misha to join him, two other Times writers, and playwright Matthew Lopez in a group discussion that resulted in a much-talked-about article. None of the participants had seen the new movie yet, so they were gathered to talk about the past history of the show and West Side Story's position as a cultural icon and phenomenon. The conversation quickly got contentious, even in print, and as I told Misha, I would love to have been a fly on the wall, or at least to have heard a recording of it. Well, here is the true backstory, which is that the New York Times, surprisingly to me, decided to have us write on a Google Doc. We didn't see each other, and I think that was very frustrating for me, because it's like what you write in an email, you don't really know who you're talking to, you're just writing your own thoughts. And because that was the way it was, and it was edited with our permission, Mm -hmm. we were able to say, no, I'd like to change that a little, or I didn't mean that or whatever. But it was a written document. And that was a really unusual way to have a conversation, I think, between that many people. Well, I think especially for people like you and I of a certain age, having a discussion on a Google Doc just (laughs) does not make a lot of sense to us. 
Well, I definitely was used to writing to my editors on Google Docs, but to have a really substantive conversation, I think you're right. A discussion. And to be able to see people and how they're responding and reacting. So I understood that was the most efficient way for the Times to do it, but it was frustrating. Some of the controversy and the issues that came up in that conversation are not at all new. In fact, you covered a lot of them in your book. That's correct. But what has happened with West Side Story, and I hope we don't get too bogged down on this, because I was kind of surprised that this was the topic for most of the discussion, is that the original objections to the show from some Puerto Ricans was that it didn't show Puerto Ricans in a good enough light you know, island of tropic diseases, that line in America, and the fact that the Puerto Rican characters were gang members and their girlfriends, that was, I think, very tough for some people who were part of the Puerto Rican community in New York and who felt that they were being maligned. And that their only visibility was that. That's right. Because this was the first show, and for many years, the only show that had Puerto Rican characters. I mean, real characters. People who had an identity, who who really were part of the engine of the plot and so on. At the center of the action. Absolutely. And so right before the show got to Broadway, when they did their DC preview, there was some picketing. And I think at that point, the principals, and I think it was sort of aimed at Stephen Sondheim because of the lyrics, they kind of blew it off. I mean, they just sort of thought, wow, come on, this is not such a big deal. And of course, that was the times that you didn't think that mattered that much. And they didn't feel that they were showing Puerto Ricans in a bad light, any worse light than the white gang members, or I shouldn't say white because Puerto Ricans are all colors, but, you know, the Anglo gang members. So there was that. And then gradually, I think really starting maybe in the 80s or 90s, there was more of a response from young Puerto Ricans and Puerto Rican academics And there was this feeling and a fair amount of writing that somehow Maria was some kind of caricature of a very beatific, virginal Puerto Rican young girl, and that there was not enough understanding of Puerto Rican culture in the show. And this was contained more in academic circles, I think. There was an instance, and I read about it in the the book, in New England, where a young girl in high school who was Puerto Rican objected very vigorously to the show being done in her high school. And it was somewhat of an event that was covered by local papers and so on. But I think now, because there is much more scholarship in this area and much more sensitivity to identity and to people telling their own stories, the Times felt that that was the story. So during this conversation, as you well know, there were the kinds of objections that were so personal and so extremely presented that it was very hard to argue. I mean, there was a young reporter who's Latin American, but she's not Puerto Rican, who said that somehow this has traumatized her as a young girl because people thought she was Puerto Rican because of the movie. And then there was another Puerto Rican academic who just hated the whole enterprise and felt that 
that somehow the Puerto Rican community had been very much exploited by these four Anglo-Jewish guys who created this show. So it was very difficult to argue with that without sounding like you didn't care about their feelings. On the other hand, when the Times published that, there were 1,200 responses, 1,200 comments from people who were very angry, readers who said, why did you do this? Why didn't you talk about the show and its history and everything behind it? And there were Puerto Rican readers who said, this was fantastic for me when I was young and saw this show, or that my whole family loved this show. So I think it was a point of contention that just kind of obliterated any other discussion of the show. But it prompted an incredible discussion about it and in some ways maybe served its purpose in the long run. Yeah, I hope so, though I felt that there was a kind of hardened position against the show. It's very hard to have a discussion with anybody who thinks something should just be eliminated. Erased. There's nowhere to go with that conversation. Right. You either say, yeah, let's never do it again. And that's not going to happen. So I think that what I tried to do in that conversation was, first of all, I just don't think that the four people responsible for this show, as well as Hal Prince, who produced it, were out to exploit that community. They thought they were doing something that contributed to civil rights. That was, I believe, their attention. And I did bring up the fact that all of them, except for Stephen Sondheim, who was much younger than the others, were victims of the Red Scare and of the McCarthy era because right. of their involvement in civil rights and other causes. And almost all of them were gay. All of them were gay. All of them were Jews. All of them were children of immigrants, except Stephen Sondheim, though it was in his back. Background. And also there's a, a kind of artistic license, let's face it, people take. Frank Baum never went to Oz, he met the wizard. And I think there's much more sensitivity about that now. The other thing that came up, of course, is the casting and the fact that in the film, there are not all Latino actors playing the Puerto Rican gang members. And I did have to insert there that it was a period, especially in the 50s when the show came out, where there were so few opportunities for Latino performers to get educated in theater arts and ballet and all the things that were required in this show, it was very difficult to cast it. And the best casting was Cheetah Rivera, who was the rare Puerto Rican performer at that time who had really been able to have a presence on Broadway. And then Rita Moreno in the movie. Yes. And it elevated Rita Moreno out of these kind of ridiculous roles where she had to play Asians and so on. So it was not for lack of trying. They looked and looked. I know this is true. And especially Robbins really looked in the Puerto Rican community. And he just didn't find many. He found a couple Latinos who had the kind of rigorous ability to sing, dance and act in this show. And you produced it. It's very hard to find those people. This show was upping the stakes in that regard anyway, because it was eliminating the dancing chorus and the singing chorus of the musicals of the golden age of Broadway and making everybody a principal, basically, everybody a named character and demanding everybody had to sing and dance and act in somewhat equal measure or at least Absolutely. approaching equal measure. And the dancing in particular, if you were going to do it the way Robbins wanted to, and of course that was such a brilliant element in the show, it was so interwoven with everything else. You had to really be a terrific dancer. 
So now let's move to the subject at hand, which is this latest incarnation, Steven Spielberg's new movie of West Side Story, nominated for how many Academy Awards? I, I can't recall, but I think it's a dark horse for almost everything except the fantastic person who plays Anita. And let's face it, Anita is like the best role in this show for a performer. Yeah. Ariana DeBose. Yeah, and she's wonderful. And of course, one of the things about the new movie is that it really expands her role and it expands Bernardo's role. It gives them more backstory. Tony Kushner, who is my old friend and who I was rooting for and who I'm sorry didn't get an Academy Award nomination. And of course, he's a brilliant playwright. He wanted to do, I think, some reparations there. He wanted to really focus on the Puerto Rican community and the fact that they were being displaced by urban renewal. That's very clear in the film. He wanted to give them a backstory that made them more dimensional characters. So we have Bernardo is a boxer and Chino isn't just a a kind of gang hanger on. He's a student. So they really pumped up those roles. And I think that certainly adds to the texture of those characters. And in a way, wouldn't you say that Kushner and Spielberg are responding to all this criticism over the years? They're trying to react to that or, as you say, make reparations for what has been seen as defects of the original conception. Yeah, it seems very much of our time, the way they changed the text than it does of the time it was written originally. I think, and I told Tony this, my one objection to the way it's written now is that I felt that the individuality of the other gang members of the Jets is kind of obliterated in this one. You don't really know who Baby John is, who Ice is. They kind of form a little blob (laughs) behind Tony and Riff. And I wish it were a little more balanced because I think that all the characters are interesting and important to the story. So that is a huge change. Then we do have, of course, the change of the choreography. Justin Peck has done the new choreography, and it's quite good. It's very good, and he is also, in a way, in the lineage, because he is part of the New York City Ballet, and that was Jerome Robbins' home as a choreographer. And I think that he really shines in the America number, which they take out into the streets. And that is just a wonderful number. I think I go back to San Juan. I know a boat you can get on. Bye-bye. Everyone there will give big cheer. Hey! Everyone there would have moved here. I mean, it's always a great number, but the fact that they make it a community number, very powerful and just terrific. He also did something that was quite a change, and this was, I'm sure, involved with both Tony Kushner and Spielberg, which is the cool number. Instead of that being the gang dealing with their own angst, it becomes a kind of riff versus Tony duet almost on this pier. Boy, boy, crazy boy, get cool boy, got a rocket in your pocket. Keep coolly cool, boy. Don't get hot, cause man, you've got some high times ahead. Take it slow, and daddy, oh, you can live it up and die in bed. And 
there's the introduction of a gun. And I thought that was very brilliant in Tony's script, that they get this gun from an old Irish bartender, kind of former hoodlum. And the fact is that most of the really violent hoodlums in New York at that time, of that age, were Irish. The Irish gangs were terrifying. So that was just amazing that they get this gun and they're very ambivalent about using the gun because they don't use guns. It's not 2022. They don't have drive-by shootings. And in a way, it showed the transition from using knives and fisticuffs to this gun culture. And I think that dance on the pier is quite a contribution to the show. I mean, do you agree? Yeah, it was one of the things I liked the most about the movie. And I think we feel very similarly about the movie. I liked it very much. I'm not wildly enthusiastic about it the way some people are, and I'm not wildly negative about it either the way that many people are. I enjoyed it. I thought it was quite good. I think it is a worthy addition to the canon of West Side Story. But that moment in particular, if you're not going to have that original Jerome Robbins choreography for Cool, which you're not going to because you're making a new movie with Justin Peck, then I thought this was actually a brilliant use of that song. Absolutely. The other you know, major thing that's changed is you don't have Doc. You have Doc's widow. And it's very nostalgic to bring back Rita Moreno, who's still a very lovely presence. And she has this relationship with Tony, which is very similar to Doc, except it's more affectionate. She really cares about this kid. She really worries about him. And I think that could have gone either way. I don't think that was essential, but I thought it was a nice touch and clearly very meaningful. And there were a few other things I liked, too. I really liked that they went up to the cloisters on a date, and they actually sang that song, One Hand, One Heart, live, which was quite beautiful. There's been a lot of criticism of Alison Elgart, the young man who plays Tony, and a lot of people didn't buy that he had just come out of jail, that he'd been in Rikers or wherever. He just didn't seem tough enough. And I have to say that I am on the other side of that. I think his kind of puppyish He's very pretty. He's very puppyish. It gave him a vulnerability that I thought added something to the film. It, it made him more believable that he would fall for this young woman and really care about her. She is more worried than he is in this version. She's like, uh-oh, this is not so good for either of us. And he is just needing, I think, this love story so much. And I actually, I don't know, what did you think? He's come in for some really harsh criticism. Yeah, I really have not understood the criticism, but I wasn't really aware of him before this movie. I feel like a lot of the criticism comes from a pre-knowledge of who he was and what other movies he's been in. And he was new to me and Mm -hmm. I accepted him. I thought he was fine. I wouldn't say it was a brilliant performance, but it was a perfectly respectable, good performance. I'm with you. I mean, I guess maybe I feel a little warmer toward the movie. I saw it twice. And the second time I saw it, I could kind of park some of my comparing and contrasting thoughts and just enjoy it. And it's an enjoyable film. It sweeps you up. It takes you into that world. The cinematography, which is nominated for an Oscar, is terrific. The sound is great. They had Maestro Dudamel from the L.I. Philharmonic, who loves this score and has performed it before and was a big favorite of the Bernstein family. He does a great job. Janine Tesori is a musical director. She's a terrific Broadway composer. So I think it really does the music justice. Absolutely. 
One of the things that I am ambivalent about, but I thought was interesting, is how much the movie references the original movie in many ways, certainly with the opening. If you know the original movie well, and then you see this new opening, it is clearly a comment or a reference. It harks back to that original movie in an interesting and I think effective way. But this movie, for me, almost doesn't exist entirely by itself. It's very reverential to the original. I think the casting of Greta Moreno mm -hmm. is so much a reference to what came before. I thought one of the least effective things, although I think she does it very well, singing There's a Place for Us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you just saw this movie on its own without any reference to anything that came before, I'm not sure that moment would work. It's very affecting as it is now, but because of what we come into the movie knowing about. Yeah, I think you might be right because that song is for those lovers who have been torn apart. I mean, that was originally, and then out of that comes the ballet. And in the original, they don't even sing it. They sing the lead in, and then we hear the voice off stage That's while the true. dance things happen. At the, at the end, they sing to each they other. They come back and sing. A, a of course, up. you're correct. It was a, a very high soprano singing that song. And of course, yeah. that song has had an enormous life of its own. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that people who've never seen the original may not get those references. But look, Steven Spielberg is a baby boomer like me. And he saw that film when he was young and he loved it. And there is an element of homage in what he's doing. And I think that's almost inevitable, especially Especially with something like this. I mean, if he had completely changed it, and I don't know if you saw the production that even Von Hoven did in New York. I did York, not get to see it. Where there were huge video screens and video cameras following everybody and everybody was tattooed and pierced. And it was a very Eurocentric kind of production and had almost nothing to do with a West Side story that I love. Steven Spielberg wasn't going to do that. He's a Hollywood guy and who had tremendous nostalgia for this show. And by the way, you know, probably won't make much money on it because they are a victim. Let's talk about that for a minute. Because the show came out when it did, it was really a victim of circumstance. It came out right when the Omicron variant of COVID hit. And didn't they delay the movie release a year? They waited a year and they couldn't delay it again because originally it was supposed to come out when everybody was freaked out about COVID and before there were even vaccines. So I remember though, I went to the theater to see it the second time and the went out out into the lobby, it was filled with young people. And I thought, wow, where are they going? Because there's hardly anybody at West Side Story. They were all going to see the latest version of Spider-Man. So that was who was coming to the movies at that point. There's been a lot of talk about, okay, because this didn't succeed at the box office and the Heights didn't succeed at the box office, forget about it with movie musicals. What do you think about that? We've heard that story a thousand times. <laughs> you and I are both old enough to have heard that the the movie musical is dead and they'll never make another one. And then all of a sudden the movie comes along and revitalizes it. And then they make some that don't succeed, like so many movies don't succeed. But nobody says when the latest Marvel movie bombs at the box office that there'll never be another superhero movie. For some reason, a musical, because it's so special and I think because it's so unique and out of character for the movies in some ways, because it does combine these two things that shouldn't go together, the unreality of music musical theater and the reality of a motion picture, that it just seems impossible 
rightly so. But when it works, when somebody figures that out and trusts the theatricality of it, it works. Usually, and this is an exception, because I think Spielberg did trust the theatricality of it. And uh, so did uh, Tony Kushner, yeah. Absolutely. They didn't shy away from, this is going to be a musical, and we're not going to be ashamed of it. We're not going to try to pretend it isn't, which I actually felt the In the Heights movie did to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. was embarrassed about being a musical and tried mm-hmm. every way they could from the device of having him talk to the little kid at the top of the show instead of talk to an audience, instead yeah. of break mm-hmm. the fourth wall, which we've seen work very effectively in a gazillion movies. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, they were shy of that. And yet Lin-Manuel Miranda, I thought then himself, really embraced the theatricality of it with the movie... Um, Uh, Tick, tick, boom. Yes, he embraced the theatricality, didn't shy away at all from the fact that this was a musical. And I thought that was terrific, succeeded Mm -hmm. really well. So I think that mostly this movie is less successful than it might have been, although more successful than some people will tell you it was. It actually has continued to play and the grosses are better than the sort of received wisdom about it. Still, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And it cost $100 million to make it. It's going to take some time for it to win that back. And I don't know how they track the streaming, but, you know, a lot of people are going to stream this film. It will be around for a long time. Yeah. And it's an argument for someone like Spielberg doing it, because Spielberg can afford to do it. It's not going to be the end of his career or the end of his big production company or anything. He could do it as a sort of labor of love. And that's what he did. So... We can thank him. So do you think this is the final word on West Side Story? No, I don't. I think, sadly, in a way, it's relevant to every generation. As in the theater, it's been done all kinds of ways. It is adaptable because the themes are so strong and universal. And is there always going to be a Romeo and Juliet? Yes, that's been done a million ways. I think it is that kind of work. I think it has that kind of mythic character that goes beyond real beyond just that we have to believe that we are in 1957 or wherever. And so I just feel that as long as people are doing musicals, they're going to be doing some version of this. I mean, this is a big deal, and I don't know that anybody's going to remake the movie anytime soon. I don't think so. There probably won't be another movie, but never say never. I didn't think there'd be this one. Right, right. Who thought? But it has a life. It has a life force of its own, and that's one of the things that makes it so special. I don't think there are many musicals that have that kind of really strong pulse that long after they were created. And anything that can move people of my age as well as 12-year-olds, we are such a, an atomized culture now where young people have their own separate world, their own slang, their own music, their own clothing, everything. But when there's anything that moves people across generations and across different backgrounds, I think that that is something very special in the culture that needs to be continued to be celebrated. And I think West Side Story is one of those things. Thank you, Misha Burson, for joining me today on Broadway Nation. It's been such a great pleasure to talk to you as we approach this Academy Award weekend. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that West Side Story wins a couple. It's a tough competition this year, but I'm glad it was acknowledged anyway. It's been a pleasure. Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, 
David Armstrong, if you love this podcast and want to delve even deeper into the world of Broadway musicals, I invite you to become a member of the Broadway Nation Backstage Pass Club. For as little as $7 a month, members will receive exclusive access to never-before-heard, unedited versions of every Season 2 interview and many from Season 1 as well. I often record at least twice as much conversation as ends up in the public episodes, and this includes additional in-depth conversations with my frequent co-host, Albert Evans. You will also have the opportunity to ask us any questions about Broadway musicals that you would like to hear answered and to propose topics and subject matter that you would like me to cover, all of which I will incorporate into a special series of Ask Me Anything About Broadway episodes. Last, but certainly not least, you will receive special on-air shout-outs and acknowledgement of your vital support for this podcast. To join, just click the link included in the show notes for this episode on our website at www.broadway-nation.com. That's broadway-nation.com. Special thanks to Pals Mox for his help with editing this episode, to KVSH 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to everyone at the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.